This summer, the world must answer one question. Why has no one made a popsicle that gets you high yet? That's right, it's summer, and it's time for you to get your hands on America's new favorite product, Danksicles. 20 milligrams of THC in two great flavors, the latest and greatest innovation from IndiCloud. Is IndiCloud the greatest company to come out of America? Maybe. But what we do know for sure is that IndiCloud is the best way to get dispensary-grade cannabis delivered directly to your door, 100% legally. Yes, they ship legally to all states. No medical card needed. Whether it's vapes as big as your head, flowers you won't find in your mom's garden, or of course, popsicles that get you high as What are you waiting for? Go to indicloud.co slash spring24 and get discreet delivery on top shelf THC products. Head over to indicloud.co slash spring24. That's co, not com, to snag 30% off your first order. Hey everyone, my name is Nikki Young and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. I'm back with another true crime story to lull you to sleep or perhaps to give you nightmares. The murder of Kimberly Proctor is one of the most appalling cases out of Canada that I have ever read about. Kimberly was a beautiful 18-year-old young woman from Langford, British Columbia, who was taken from this world in one of the cruelest ways by two very troubled teenage boys from school. The things that they did to her are incomprehensible, and it's difficult to imagine any human being capable of such a thing, let alone two boys who were so young. Kim believed them to be her friends, but after agreeing to meet up, They would sexually assault her, kill her, and then set her body on fire in a wooded area. When Kim's burned body would be discovered by a passerby, the two teens began to panic. But not enough to keep quiet, as one of them confessed the entire thing to his online girlfriend in the game World of Warcraft. There were a lot of red flags before Kim was killed that these two boys were capable of becoming absolute monsters but they mostly went ignored. This is another cautionary story to parents to monitor what your kids are doing online, because this sadistic plan to kill this young girl just to see how it felt, it was all detailed in online chats ahead of time, and it could have been prevented. We're going to talk about who Kim was before her life was taken from her by these mutants. We'll also talk about the lives of Cruz Wellwood and Cameron Moffat and all of the warning signs that were missed. So let's jump right in. Let's start with Kimberly Proctor, who was so much more than what happened to her. Kimberly, whose parents called her Kimmy, was born on January 1st, 1992 to her parents Lucy and Fred. She was a New Year baby, a sign of good luck and fortune to her mom and dad. Kim grew up in a middle-class family in Langford, British Columbia, Canada, with parents who worked tirelessly to provide for the family, her mother as a manager at Walmart, and her father as a mechanic. According to her obituary, Kim was described as, quote, a kind-hearted girl who had a true love for animals, especially cats. She was very social and cared deeply for her friends and family. 
Kim was always willing to help people in need. And it's true, everyone knew how much Kim loved animals, and she had raised several pets herself, including rabbits, lizards, and mice. However, her favorite animal was the cat, and when she was younger, she was known to frequently wear cat ears to school. Other kids and classmates may have seen Kim as a bit of an oddball, but it sounds to me like she was just ahead of her time. She was relentlessly bullied in school for rocking her own individual style and wearing things like the cat ears, which is really unfortunate because it sounds like she was just a creative young lady who liked to express herself through her clothing. Kim also struggled with attention deficit disorder, which made her really struggle her way through school. Her parents tried to get her help, including starting her on a medication that would help her to focus, but her mother would say that it basically turned her into a zombie. Instead of medicating her to the point where she wasn't really herself, they decided to transfer her to an alternative school called Pacific Secondary. This move to a new school was supposed to be a positive transition, where Kim would finally be able to get additional help and all of the resources that she needed to successfully continue through school. Now, I believe that Pacific Secondary is permanently closed down now, but when it was a functioning school, it was basically an alternative option for students that didn't fit into their other schools for whatever reason. It could be a developmental issue, a learning disability, or even behavioral issues. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the show Glee or the actor Corey Monteith, but he actually attended Pacific Secondary Alternative School back before he made it to Hollywood and became a famous actor. His parents sent him to the school for getting into trouble as a kid. Though he didn't graduate from high school, he did get lucky and land that huge role in Glee. Tragically, Corey would pass away in July of 2013 from combined heroin and alcohol toxicity. He wasn't able to break free of his demons, but before he died, he had really good things to say about this school. He said, quote, The most important thing to them was keeping kids in the building. Alternative schools are incredibly important. Early intervention is key to preventing future tragedies, and I'm sure that these schools and the teachers there are doing the very best that they can. But unless they are well-funded with well-trained staff, it does sound like it could be a recipe for disaster to put all of these young folks with unique needs and circumstances into these classrooms together and then kind of hope for the best. One of the other students in Kim's class was a 16-year-old young man named Cruz Wellwood. Cruz would grow up to be just like his father, a convicted rapist and killer named Robert Raymond Deswan. He would be charged with the sexual assault and murder of a 16-year-old girl. Cruz grew up knowing what his father did, but he said that the pair never really talked about it. Though he hardly ever saw his father, who was serving a life sentence in prison, they did exchange letters until Cruz was about 12 years old, and then Cruz kind of just refused contact with his father. He didn't want to talk to him anymore. So he grew up living with his grandparents for the majority of his life before he moved in with his mother. It was a volatile situation, and it's reported that Cruz would even abuse his own mother, hitting her anytime he became angry, and he was much larger than she is. 
Cruz would display behaviors from a very early age that maybe someone should be keeping a closer eye on him. Before the age of 16, he would be charged with a whole array of things, including drugs and theft. At school, he had been reprimanded for inflicting physical violence on the other students. His teachers would say that he was gifted, but incredibly rude and showed no desire to progress in school. Cruz's longtime best friend was a 17-year-old named Cameron Moffat, who went by the name Cam. Cam had a difficult childhood. It's alleged that he was sexually abused at an age as early as four. He also suffered from ADHD, and he demonstrated behavior issues like self-harm and sneaking out of the house every night. His parents tried to get him help, including bringing him to a mental health professional in combination with medication, but Cam just seemed to get worse every year. Unlike Cruz, Cam was not considered to be very intelligent. In four years of attending high school, he had only managed to pass a handful of his classes. Ultimately, he would be expelled from his alternative school for bringing a box cutter to class with him. Together, Cruz and Cam were a lethal combination. They had basically bonded over this mutual hatred of a teacher that they had when they were in the fifth grade, and they had become inseparable ever since. Really, they were more than friends. They were more like brothers to one another. They were considered troubled kids, maybe too far gone for the adults in their lives to care. So all they really had was each other. And they felt like it was them against the world. No one understood them like they understood each other. These were two disturbed teenagers who spent the majority of their time together discussing the most unhealthiest, disturbing, and violent fantasies. They would often skip class together to go get high and play World of Warcraft, and I wish it was just as simple as that, but they also watched really violent porn together. And I've got to ask, is that something that young men do? Do they watch porn together? And maybe all of that would be fine if that was all they did. But they began to get bored with just talk about fantasy. At one point, Cruz would write a blog post called Early Warning Signs of a Serial Killer. This is the son of a violent killer. And he created this list that was nearly autobiographical. He listed traits like abusing animals and having an unhealthy obsession with fire. Other traits included being abandoned by your father, which essentially he had. His father had been locked away in prison Cruz's entire life. At the end of the list, Cruz wrote, quote, The peculiar thing is I met all 14 criteria of a serial killer. Apparently, though, meeting all criteria makes it unlikely for the subject to be a serial killer. I suppose only time will tell. And still, no one paid any attention. Somehow, the vibrant Kim became entangled in the same social group at Pacific Secondary as Cruz and Cam. They didn't really share any common interests or personality traits. It's unclear why Kim paid any attention to them at all. She may have unfortunately felt like she could help them, talk them through their traumas, and be a good friend to them. 
With her learning disability, she may not have been able to perceive that she was in very real danger just being around them. My family is getting ready to make a big move across the ocean to a place where English isn't the spoken language. This isn't my first rodeo, so I'm making sure I'm fully prepared by learning the language ahead of time. Sure, I know I can use an app once I get there, but you'd be shocked by how much gets lost in translation. I want to talk like a local, which is why I'm excited to use Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn and has been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, and more. Rosetta Stone helps you to think in the language you're learning using an intuitive process that's designed for long-term retention. Their built-in true accent feature gives you feedback on your pronunciation so that you're easily understood by native speakers. They have convenient desktop and app options, so you can learn on the go, and they offer a lifetime membership that includes all 25 languages at an incredible value. And now you can save even more with 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Sunnier, warmer days are almost here. Why not get a head start on looking and feeling your best this summer by trying something new like Factors No Prep, No Mess meals that are ready to eat in just two minutes. Get a helping hand to meet your wellness goals with Factors chef-crafted meals that include different nutritional options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Healthy meal planning has never looked so good with Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals that are also dietitian approved No matter how busy you are, Factor can help kickstart and maintain a new healthy routine by making it easy to enjoy nutritious meals on the go. Plus, you'll never get bored eating the same thing every day because they offer 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. We're talking restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon because eating healthy doesn't have to be boring. Personally, I love not having to overthink what I'm going to eat every single day because that's half the battle, and I don't have to bother with shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. But the best part is, these meals are delicious with ingredients you can trust. Crush your wellness goals this May. Head to factormeals.com slash napper50 and use code napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code napper50 at factormeals.com slash napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. 
Kim had dated another young man from their friend group named Zach. Though it was a brief relationship, even by teenage standards, Kim took the breakup really hard, and this is when she began spending more time chatting with Cruz and Cam. It may have been a bit of a ruse to try to get Zach jealous. Cruz and Cam enjoyed Kim's attention either way, with Cam even confessing to Kim online at one point that he had a huge crush on her. Unfortunately for Cam, Kim was more romantically interested in Cruz. It's kind of bizarre to imagine, but Kim would go home after school and then spend hours and hours chatting with both Cruz and Cam online in individual instant messaging chat sessions. Meanwhile, she was unaware that the two boys were actually sitting right next to each other, usually comparing conversations. There are pages and pages of court documents detailing all of the hundreds of hours worth of instant messaging that they did. And the conversations that they had ran deep. In one conversation between Cruz and Kim, she talks about having low self-esteem and body issues. She refers to herself as pudgy, and Cruz replies with, quote, You're beautiful the way that you are. Both boys were also very open with Kim about their violent tendencies, but it didn't seem like Kim took them very seriously. When they would bring it up, she would try to change the subject or brush it off with an LOL. She had no idea how serious the situation was. How could she? She's a young girl with a very different lived experience than these two boys. In contrast, her family was loving. Her parents took care of her the best that they could. Kim likely thought that these two boys were just boys being boys, talking a big talk. But she had no idea that her life was in danger. On August 22nd, 2009, there's a conversation between Kim and Cruz where he tells her that she needs to stop being so trusting of people. In several messages, he says, quote, I told you I wanted to keep my rational side away from my emotional side, but this is outrageous. I can't do that anymore. This is your life and you will do what you want with it, but just know that I don't want to see it end up like I'm predicting, like I know it will. Just remember that I'm worried And you can't always be so trusting of people, especially when it's a known fact that they lie through their teeth to everyone. Was he trying to tell on Cam? Was he trying to stop what was already in motion? Or was he trying to show her who he really was? Cruz continued, quote, You're too good, Kim. You trust in people too much. Just because you give someone your confidence does not mean you can expect theirs in return. A gift does not demand any rights. That fall, Kim would briefly get back together with that other boy in their general friend group, Zach. It was very brief and the pair would eventually break up again. Cruz and Cam would not take this information well. They were pissed about it. They had been flirting with the idea of possibly dating Kim for quite some time now and now she was just going back to Zach. That's how they would have perceived it. They showed how they felt by becoming very cruel and very cold with Kim. At school, they began bullying her, calling her names. 
On Messenger, she'd ask them why they were treating her that way. And they basically would tell her she's crazy because they don't even care about her enough to bully her. But in reality, they were bullying her. They were treating her very poorly at school. The reason their attitude towards Kim had changed was because the plan had changed. Cruz and Cam were no longer interested in dating Kim romantically or even just having her as a friend. They were angry, they were jealous, and they were preparing a plan to do something absolutely unthinkable. The day before they were to carry out this plan, Cruz called Kim on the phone. Unbeknownst to Kim, Cam was listening on the other line. Cruz tells her that he has some things that he wants to talk to her about, but he doesn't want to do it over the phone, he wants to do it in person. He says that it has something to do with why he and Cam have been so mean to her lately. Kim says that she has to babysit later in the afternoon, but she agrees to meet up for this chat beforehand. While this phone call is happening, Cruz and Cam are messaging each other back and forth on instant messaging with their true intentions. Cruz says, I'm going to rip her nose ring out and burn it. Burn her flesh. The following day would be Kim's last day on this earth. She gets up that morning and she heads out for the Langford bus exchange where she's going to meet Cruz at around 10 a.m. She only has a few hours to spare before she has to get to babysitting. Cruz and Cam already had a plan in place. They had been busy preparing that morning, with Cam stopping by a Canadian tire to buy some camp fuel that they were planning to use to destroy any evidence. While Cruz was going to meet Kim at the bus station and then bring her back to the home, Cam would wait in the master bedroom and listen for the code phrase. Now, I really fucking hate that they use something so classically Canadian here, but the secret code phrase was... I think I'm going to make some KD. For my American friends, KD is short for craft dinner, which is what we call mac and cheese. From my understanding, mac and cheese is more of a kid's meal in the States. However, in Canada, it's what we all eat when we're broke or just too lazy to cook. Kids and adults alike. So Kraft branded it craft dinner in Canada to make it sound a little less cheesy. But Anyway, they've ruined Katie for me forever. So Cruz goes and he meets Kim at the bus stop, and then they walk back down to the road towards his house, where Cam is now waiting in the bedroom. Shortly after entering the home, Cruz would use that code phrase, I think I'm going to make some KD, and then the plan to attack Kim was on. What they did to this beautiful young lady is beyond comprehension. Trigger warning for everything awful and terrible. Cam and Cruz backed Kim into the corner and they began to viciously beat her. They hit her and they kicked her until she fell to the ground and they could overpower her. They tied both her hands and her ankles, hogtie style, so that she couldn't get away. Kim was absolutely petrified as she came to the realization that these two monsters were never her friends at all. As Kim began to scream, Cruz grabbed one of his socks from his dresser drawer and he shoved it in Kim's mouth to keep her quiet. To be sure that the sock didn't fall out of her mouth, they put duct tape over it. 
Then, for the next few hours, the boys each took turns sexually assaulting Kim and beating her when she protested. Ultimately, Kim died from asphyxiation. They suffocated her with a plastic bag to end her life. However, the horrendous acts did not cease once it was clear that Kim was no longer alive. The two boys would mutilate her body with a knife and assault her with an object. They would put a lollipop stick inside of her. They moved her body to a large freezer in the home, and then they began to work on their alibi. Cruz logged into his instant messenger to send Kim a message asking whether she was done babysitting yet or not. Kim obviously did not respond. But another one of Cruz's friends did send him a few messages once he saw he was online, which were all left unread until about eight minutes later when Cruz responded with, Sorry, the freezer was jumping around, alluding to Kim, whose body was now in the freezer. Even though he had just spent the past year or so messaging with Kim for hours upon hours every day, he showed no remorse over what he had just done to her. Cruz and Cam agreed to move the body in the morning, but for now, they waited. It is alleged that there may have been another victim that evening, if they were given the opportunity. Cam would ask an ex-girlfriend of his to come to Cruz's house to hang out. However, thankfully, she said no. I fully believe that they were so fired up from what they had done to Kim that they would have likely done the exact same thing to this ex-girlfriend. She is incredibly lucky. Sadly, it was too late for Kim, and her parents were an absolute wreck when she did not return home that evening. There was no reason for Kim to be gone, no reason for her to be missing. Everything was looking really positive for her. She had recently learned that she had enough high school credits to actually graduate that summer, and after her babysitting gig was over, she was going to be returning home to work on her graduation dress. Now, nobody could reach her and Kim's phone was turned off. Her parents knew that they had to call the police immediately to report her missing. The following day, as planned, Cruz and Cam moved Kim's body from the freezer into a large hockey bag. They took this bag that had Kim's body in it onto the bus and then over to a remote area known as Galloping Goose Trail. They lugged this large hockey bag into the forest and under a bridge where they set it on fire. Then they went on with their lives as if nothing had happened. Cruz called his girlfriend to hang out, and Cam went to lunch with his mother and his grandmother. No one was any the wiser. The same day that they tried to dispose of Kim's body was the very same day that it was found. That evening, a group of young men were smoking under the bridge when they discovered the charred hockey bag with Kim's remains in it. They called the police, and investigators were able to positively identify the body as belonging to Kim, using dental records. It was suspected that whoever killed Kim was likely someone that she knew. It felt like a very personal murder. For that reason, investigators kept a close eye on Kim's group of friends and fellow students at the school. There were a lot of rumors and theories about what may have happened to Kim, People talk. And Cruz, he couldn't stop talking. 
Just five days after he and Cam viciously raped and murdered Kim Proctor, Cruz confessed everything to his online girlfriend in a chat on the game World of Warcraft. He likely knew that the police would be watching things like social media, but he probably figured that they would never bother with a game like World of Warcraft. Spoiler alert, all of that stuff is tracked, it's all saved, recorded, and it lives forever, and the police can absolutely use that to catch you. Instead of saying, you're a disgusting piece of shit and I'm calling the police, this online girlfriend assured Cruz that she would always be there for him, no matter what. Despite his e-girlfriend not turning him in, Cruz continued to unravel. His anger about Kim was palatable. On one occasion when he decided to show up at school, which was a rare event, he absolutely lost it on one of Kim's best friends who was still very publicly grieving her death. When he overheard this friend talking about her, Cruz screamed at her. He screamed, no one fucking cares. She's dead. Who gives a shit? Their odd behavior, combined with their history and relationship with Kim, gave investigators enough cause to monitor all of their online communication. Investigators bugged Cam and Cruz's phones. They dug up hundreds of hours of instant messaging between the two boys, where they relived the murder over and over again. They even spoke about doing it again, since it was so easy the first time. Police had more than enough to arrest both Cruz Wellwood and Cameron Moffat for the rape and murder of Kimberly Proctor. They were just 16 and 17 years old at the time, and the police were shocked at how calm and collected they were while they retold all of the things that they did. Of course, at first they tried to deny it, saying that the last time that they saw Kim was at the bus stop that morning when she left for babysitting, but they had all of the text messages between each other and that World of Warcraft girlfriend and a bunch of other people. The boys would ultimately confess to what they did. They had each taken turns sexually assaulting and beating Kim while the other watched or waited in the next room. While Cruz was raping Kim, Cam said, quote, I went and sat in the living room just the TV was on and just sitting there wholeheartedly trying to forget about what's happening and uh, watching the TV. Here's a clip from Cam's interrogation with the police. When that's happening, what's going through your head? In the top left corner of your screen, that's Cameron Moffat describing the biggest rush of his life. It's like, what the f***? Oh, yeah. And how do you feel inside? Uh, uh, the biggest adrenaline rush you ever have, because it's, what the f***? Yeah. Hey, let's take a step back. What is that um, fire trying to hide? All sorts of stuff. It'll also be lit to destroy evidence, right? We uh, destroy evidence. Like the only thing you can't destroy is damage, like the bones and stuff. Yeah, you can't destroy that. But you can't see bruises, all sorts of stuff on there. Ask you the question: Is it here up or here down? You're saying that there. item number one is there. There is there down. Item number two. Oh God. There's going to be a time and place someday when this is just going to be so easy to tell. Mm -hmm. um, 
Um, he's, he's telling you repeatedly to do it. Okay, I'll just tell you. Quote, unquote, he says, if I'm going to incriminate myself in this, you have to, too. The truth doesn't come in portions. I'm telling you the truth. I'm just not telling you every single little thing that happened down to the tiniest grain of detail that I can come up with in my mind. <clears throat> and trust me, there's a lot of really disgusting... Like, Why can't you bring yourself to talk about that? Because... Uh, yeah. I can't say. <laughs> At trial, there were numerous psychologists, psychiatrists, and other experts who testified that both of the teens were psychopaths and sexual sadists with little or no capacity for remorse and almost no chance of rehabilitation in the next 25 to 30 years. Some experts stated that they believed the boys would continue to be a risk well into their 40s. And I've got to agree, I'm not an expert by any means, but in my opinion, when we're talking about the violent rape and murder of a person that they had even once considered a friend, they were old enough to know what they were doing was horrific and, and wrong, and they were even preparing to find another victim to do it again. Cruz, in particular, was identified as having a deviant sexual disorder in the form of sadism and even necrophilia. The teens were convicted in the murder and rape of Kimberly Proctor, and they were sentenced to life in prison with no chance of parole for at least 10 years. And Cruz, he wanted that parole. Cruz first applied for day parole in 2019, and he was denied. He applied again in 2020, but that was also rejected. And just this year, 2023, Cruz Wellwood attempted to get day parole again, but thankfully, he was denied once again. Cameron Moffat hasn't applied for parole for whatever reason. Maybe he doesn't want to bother seeing as how Cruz won't be getting out anytime soon. It is better for the families when they don't apply for parole. Each time one of these monsters decides that they want parole, the family has to be re-victimized as they listen to how they found God behind bars or whatever reason. And listen, I think people can change. I think people can grow and better themselves and come to understand the gravity of their actions. But do I think that people who sexually assault others with their body and other objects, who suffocate others with plastic bags, who desecrate bodies just for fun, do I think that those people can change? I don't think those people can ever grow, change, or do anything that would make sense for them to live amongst the public. But I would love to know what you think. Do you think crimes that are committed by teenagers that are as heinous as this one can be redeemed? Do you think that they deserve parole? Do you think that they deserve a second chance? Let me know what you think in the comments. That's it for me tonight. If you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also search for me on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Check me out on Twitter at Serial underscore Napper or I post things on TikTok, Serial Napper Nick, and that's all one word. If you're watching on YouTube, I'd love if you can give me a thumbs up and subscribe. And if you're not watching on YouTube, why not? Until next time, stay safe, stay kind, especially in the comments. Bye.